All right, it's good to be with you guys. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 14 through 18. Matthew 16, verse 14 through 18. And when Paula was reaching out to me and um, saying, what are you going to cover? I have been, for the last, since literally December, on this quest for the book of Ephesians. And what is the church? And so if you guys can join me here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus talked about the church, and then I'm going to focus on something that Ephesians covers about the church, okay? So here, uh, Jesus is in Sarah, I used to be able to pronounce it. He was in a city in Philippi, and he's asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And this is where we're picking up the, dis, the dis, uh, conversation. And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. And he said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son, uh, sorry, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, when he's asking him this question, hear this term for church, uh, ecclesia. It's only used, uh, that specific word is only used twice in the New Testament, even though they use the other term for church through the rest of the Bible. This is only used twice. And it's interesting, this term and the way it was understood back in the culture is when Caesars or kings would bring in their governors from regions, they would have an assembly. Kind of like sort of what we do today where we would have supposedly, remember the form of our government was that senators actually lived in a region and they came and represented that region and the president and his cabinet said, well, here's the laws we're enacting, so go back into your region. Now we just have senators that live in Washington that act like they represent the region. <laughs> Sorry, shouldn't have went there. But the idea is this. We, now think about it. Think of the, how the church has used the term church. Where did we go tonight? The church. Let's go to church. Right? So that means we go to a building and some activity happens in that building that isn't common. And when people think of the church as a location, they actually, in their mind, begin this separation between when I go to that building, I act like a Christian. When I go away from the building, I just try to get along with everybody. So the interesting enough is Jesus is pointing the disciples and he's saying, no, you're the church. Forget about if they destroy the building, you're still the church. And what he's trying to communicate to you is you're the governing people that represent his kingdom and is actually to extend his rule and authority wherever he's placed you. And so in this passage, as we begin to look at what I'm going to cover this evening, it's very important to understand most of us come, now think about how Jesus raises up people to govern. He takes the broken that have been victimized by the kingdom of darkness, he pulls them out of that, he restores their identity, and then he says, now part of your identity isn't just to be whole, you're going to be ruling and reigning with me forever, so I want you to learn to do it on this planet. Now, most of us are just grateful that Jesus has saved us, and we're trying to figure out how to 
put up with enough evil, and we call it suffering, so that we can get on with glory. And Jesus is saying, no, I actually saved you so that you go back into your family and your region and say, that's enough evil, we're going to extend the kingdom to change that. So the church is his governing officials in a region. Um, if any of you ever got to travel like outside of Colorado and hang out with the body of Christ in a greater extent, have any of you had an opportunity to do that? The, the church is really kind of fascinating. If you watch the church, the church never hardly understands their identity, but in certain generations when the church sees who Jesus says they are, they change the culture. You, you've been given that kind of power and authority in the kingdom of God. You're actually, now think about this. Most of us would think, I don't want that responsibility. But Jesus is actually saying the way that um, Denver is and the way that Castle Rock is is because of what you put up with. <laughs> because right here he just said, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. So the enemy has no power over you, and you're supposed to take the keys and loose whatever God wants in a region. So you and I stand before him. Now think about it. We come into the building to hang out with Jesus. Jesus says, well, you're supposed to come into the building, and I'm going to tell you how to rule next week, and when you do it, it'll change your family and your culture. Now, we haven't even started the teaching. We're just pre-introduction. Yeah, we're just warming up. So, so you need to understand that when Jesus uses the term church, he's talking about an assembly of his people, not a location where they meet. And also... Uh, sometimes when you study the scripture, do you ever find that as you actually go deep into the scripture, what you thought the scripture meant, you actually get a transformation and the Lord actually straightens you out? Have you ever had that experience? Okay. Thank you, Paul. I was wondering. I was wondering if you were going to respond to that. So, so as I'm studying the church, I've, I've come to realize, do you, do you see why the enemy tries to make us fight over different locations and the names of uh, places? Because if we see every place that acknowledges the Lord Jesus Christ as his and stop fighting with them, a lot of stuff that we want God to do would actually change because we'd take our focus on competing with each other to actually taking on the gates of hell. All right. Now, with that being said, I still, I'm still pre-introduction. Now we're going to get to the introduction. So there are seven pictures that are given to us in the book of Ephesians. By the way, um, if, if you've never had someone go over the book of Ephesians with you, just kind of doing line upon line and teaching you, let me just kind of give you the idea. For you to under, when we say you need to know your identity in Christ, one of the main books that explains your identity in Christ, book, epistle being written, is the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians gives what we call not only statements of identity, but how to actually use what that statement meant and live in it. That's why it's such a profound book. And uh, when I was learning leadership, they always kept telling us, look, if you want to know how to lead, you have to read the book of Ephesians and start integrating into how you think and how you do things because in it, God is explaining, are you ready? It's almost going to sound bizarre. He's explaining how his government works. Now, you guys know that God governs, right? He's a king, and so he governs. So if you guys ever thought, well, when we hang out with Jesus, aren't we supposed to do whatever we feel like doing? So like one week, if we feel like swinging on a chandelier, we ought to do that. The next week, if we want to do a slide into some water, should we do that? What, does God have any kind of view of how he thinks we should actually gather in his name what he wants us to do? Well, yeah, the book of Ephesians will tell you that. Now, here I'm going to give you what's called the seven pictures out of Ephesians of what the church is. By the way, we don't become this. This is who we are. We actually learn to grow in this. Okay, so 
Yes, you need to learn about it, but you're growing into this. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 tells us that the church is called the assembly. Um, isn't that fascinating? Because a lot of times uh, it's his gathered people. There's an intentional reason he gathers you and I. Um, in the Gospels, do you remember when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of you? And a lot of people think that means, well, I just get with Paula and say, now you know Jesus and I know Jesus, so let's ask him for a Mercedes, and since we agree on it, he should give it to me. Right? That's how a lot of people translate that. Well, the better Greek translation of it is, is Jesus as Lord of the church, comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do. And then he comes to me and says, here's what I want you to do. And we talk with each other about it and find out, wow, the Lord's been sharing the same thing with you as he is with me. So let's gather under that thing he's called us to, and he'll actually show up. That term, I will be there, isn't a statement that I'm just the Lord of the church. It's talking about his presence and all the blessing that you and I are longing for is tied up into what he shows a group of people to rally around and gather for. So when we say we gather in the name of the Lord, it isn't just to do jazzercise for Jesus. Have you ever watched the body of Christ just stick Jesus on everything? I know you've never seen that. Okay. Uh, when I first came to the body of Christ, I didn't realize that the name of Jesus is you just stick it on everything for Christians so they could do the exact same thing that everybody else was doing. So we don't, we don't just go eat dinner. We eat dinner in the name of Jesus. Or, or we jazzercise for Jesus. Or we go to swimming parties for Jesus, right? You guys get it? Only what, only what he calls a group to is what he is in the middle of. You can't stick his name on something and say he's a part of that just because you're his church. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, I'm sure you love having me do that. All right, so let's keep moving on. The second picture is this. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 23, we're called the body of Christ. Now, this is actually profound. I, I, I could go over all of them, but I want to get to what I'm going to cover this evening. When we're called the body of Christ, this is actually talking about a reality that the New Testament is giving us. Jesus literally is still alive right now. He's literally on a throne, and he's considered the head, right, where his body, which means, have you ever wondered if your body is disconnected with your head? <laughs> Some of us would go, well, I think my body is a natural picture of the body of Christ now because my body does stuff I have no control over. Well, that's not the idea the mind is supposed to move the body. And that's the idea. And in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it gives us this beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus. And it says that we have the mind of Christ. And that plural form of that word, we, have the mind of Christ, actually means the whole entire body of Christ has been privy to the thoughts of God. And so we can walk with the head and go wherever he's going. In fact, one of the, one of the signs of immaturity that the Scripture points to is when the body of Christ is not listening to him and not doing what he's doing in a situation. That's a, that's a form, that's what we call a sign of immaturity. Let's move on. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that the church is his workmanship. Now, there are two forms of workmanship in the New Testament. There's building a building, and then there's being creative, writing poetry, music, and literature. Well, this term for workmanship in the New Testament is that word. You're God's song or God's poem that he's writing to the human race. You're his, literally his, what we call creative expression. That's why you're considered a living epistle. 
God is writing the love of God on you through every experience, and people are reading it, whether they realize it or not. And he's actually making, in a sense, if I could say it, your life is actually a symphony of a song that's being spoken back to the Lord about the grace and the love of God in your life. And you reflect that. Isn't that an awesome picture? So we go, why do I have to go through the stuff I go through? Because there's a song being written in your life of the love of God. And people are, are hearing it. They're seeing it. They're beholding it. It's affecting them, just like music and poetry does. A, f- a fourth picture is called the family of God. Now, we're go- I'm sort of going to be focusing on this this evening, but what if you grew up in an absolutely dysfunctional family or what's called normal America? Can the church actually bring wholeness back to you? I believe it can. Because God knows how relationships are supposed to be, what the the culture of honor is about, and how you're supposed to relate to each other. You come into this community, and it's to be a reflection of what wholeness looks like. And so, if you guys experience this, I experienced this. When I came to the body of Christ, I was absolutely, at the highest level you can imagine, fragmented, dysfunction, and codependent at every level of my life. And by hanging out with the body of Christ, God brought me wholeness in my life. So God restores people in families. He calls us his family. That's why the Bible actually basically says we have to call each other brothers and sisters. Do you guys ever do that, by the way? Because some groups do and some groups don't. They think it's a cultural thing. It's actually a biblical thing. Next one is, is you're called to be the temple of God. So, again, I'm not going to do the whole teaching, but to be the temple, remember, Back in the Old Testament, you had to travel to get to a building because that's where the manifest presence of God is. God decided that wasn't good enough, so he decided you'll be that. So you don't need to think about it. Think how we think about what we call the church. Let's spend $10 million building this building, and that's where God hangs out. But you guys are experiencing this now. Just throw paint on some stupid place and show up. That's where God's glory at is in you. That's what needs to be honored. That's what needs to be cultivated. And that's what needs to be understood is it doesn't matter if we're being persecuted and we can't own a building or we pay for a $50 million building. The building itself doesn't matter. It's you. That's where God resides. That's the awesome place. Oh, thanks. Okay, so let's keep moving on. Uh, The next one is you're called to be the bride of Christ. Now, when I covered this, Think about this. God wants to show you what healthy family likes, but he also wants to show you what healthy marriage is like. And so we begin to be given a picture. Christ is the husband. The church is the bride. And so you have to look at how does Jesus actually minister to his body? Men have to begin to reflect that to their wives. How is the body to relate to the Lord? Wives are supposed to do that back to their husband. You literally have the, the church as a reflection of what healthy covenant marriage relationship looks like. That's why when they're talking about we're doing marriage groups, you guys ought to be just, every time they say that, you ought to all just stand up and literally run around the room 15 times thank, thanking God. You're going, aren't we being extreme? Hey, do you watch the culture at all? You can get a degree in almost everything except how to have healthy relationships. And so we have absolutely terrible modeling on how to get along with each other. And then we come into the body of Christ and can't figure out why we're fighting all the time. We have no value on how to communicate. We have no value on how to treat people. We have no value on how to forgive people. And so the body of Christ is just struggling. That's why we'd rather sit and listen to a lecture than relate to each other. Isn't that great? So there you go. There's your, that'll help your. (laughs) Okay, there you go. All right. 
So we have to realize that God is the husband, we're the bride, we learn these values by how he relates to us as the church. In fact, the church is supposed to be the model to the culture. This is what healthy covenant relationship looks like. Isn't that great that Jesus has put this on us? Now, some of us will think, well, I'm such a mess. Why would you? Well, he likes taking messes and doing this stuff. By the way, I'm just staring at you. I need to quit that. I kept doing that this morning. I'm going to stare at some other you guys. You wonder if I'm just talking at you. I'm not. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. All right. Okay, there we go. There you go. All right, and then the last picture we actually get, it gets to us out of Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, we're the army of God. So isn't that great? Now, when you say the army of God, Everyone has different pictures. So when it says the church is the army, we have to say, where are we the army? Now, what most people do is they say, well, to be the army, that means when you don't agree with me, I shoot you. Well, he's not the enemy. No person running around made in the image of God is the person I go to war with. I go to war with the kingdom of darkness and Satan only. That's where we're the army. And because of that, the Bible is really straightforward to tell you, this is who you are. Understand these pictures that I've given you, relate to them, because it will actually cause you to come into not just who your identity is, but actually come into something you and I are longing for. We just don't know how to give voice to. It's called wholeness, being whole. All right. Now, with that, would you guys turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, and we're going to look at the thing that I really want to focus on. So that was all the introduction. It took long enough to get there. Now let's get to the passage. What is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9? So here's a question. I want you to consider it with me. I'm going to work with you on this. What is the highest function that the church is supposed to model and demonstrate? What is the highest function? Now, if you ask that question, a lot of people think, well, I guess it's to give the gospel. Now, you're going to find this interesting. The Bible actually doesn't say the highest function of the church is to give the gospel. What is the highest function of the church? It's right here in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 9. And listen what it says here. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the highest function of the church is for fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I'm starting to remember how long ago this was. I, th- I believe it was six years ago. I'm getting ready. If you guys know anything about when I come out to Colorado, I, I'm, uh, Paul has honored me to come here quarterly or every couple months and teach. But I've been teaching every month up in Woodland Park for more than a decade now. Is that right? So I go up there. So I'll go there tomorrow, Woodland Park. Can you guys imagine this little mountain church allows me to be up there? I mean, they throw rocks at me as I'm leaving, but they let me come back actually every month. Isn't that great? Okay, so what does that have to do with anything? I'm going up there six years ago. I'm getting ready for the service. And just to give you some background, how I get ready to do sermons is I'm actually going over my notes and I'm talking to the Lord, what's on your heart? What do you, is there something specific from the notes you want me to say? And the Lord starts having this dialogue with me about what's on his heart six years ago. And he started this conversation. Now, this, is, this just caught me off guard. I have been doing what we call different types of meetings through my Christian experience for over the last 28 years. And that Sunday morning, he came to me and he said, okay, now, Brian, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what's on my heart for the next season in the body of Christ. And I'm like, great, what's that? 
He said, I'm going to come to the Western church and I'm going to start working on them about what discipleship is. Now you're going, well, isn't that what we're doing? Now you guys ready? Go with me on this adventure here. So in the New Testament, I don't know if you've ever seen this. When, and You guys ready? I thought I knew what all the groups were supposed to do, how they were to function. All of a sudden, I realized I had an entire learning curve to actually go through, and the Lord started explaining to me, Brian, there are three types of meetings I want you to be involved in the rest of your life. So tell me if you recognize these meetings. This is what Jesus has called the church to do and gather in each one of these meetings. And you're going to love this. If you try to take what you do in one meeting and put it in the other one, it doesn't work. That's how detailed and functional the grace of God is. So the first one is this. God has called you. You'll see this if you look closely at the New Testament. God has called you to do this, to gather. When we gather, the large group gathers, what's the purpose of it in the New Testament? Worship and the teaching of the word, right? Now, we think, well, isn't that where we have fellowship? Have you guys, now, Paul is trying to do it with a meal, but have you guys ever thought about it? It's hard to sit in a room, go on a schedule, and try to have fellowship. It's just too hard. And if you're in a room with a couple thousand people, you can't do it. I go to a church with a couple thousand people every Sunday, and our fellowship is this. Stand up and say hi to somebody. And you, and you basically have five seconds to rip off, what's your name? And they tell you your name, and then you forget it, and then we hear the lecture, right? Now, most people ask, is that wrong? No, that's one type of gathering that Jesus has called his people to come and listen. We are supposed to come and worship and hear the word. Now, what happens is if you get about three or four years of that, you start going, well, something's missing. And so you think, well, well let's add to that service, right? Well, the problem is if you try to add what you need in those other services to the bigger service, not only does it last longer, people lose what God is doing. He really is only called the big gathering for worship and the word. Really. All right, the second group. Tell me if you see this in the New Testament. When Jesus started calling disciples to him, he had 12. The 12 this group, now if you don't have this going on in your life, let me kind of just point to something. All right. Jesus, when he said he wants you to go make disciples of all nations, you're supposed to be in a group of between, well, I'll just say 12. That's what he did it. And that group is to be very intentional to teach you to be like Jesus and do the work of Jesus. That's the only reason for that group. Really, look in the New Testament. That's the only reason for the 12 was so that they would get equipped to go do the work of Jesus. They weren't to get in the group and do a worship service. And so if you ever, any of you ever done small group ministries, I've done them for 28 years. The focus of the small group, you can maybe sing a couple songs, but the, actually the goal is not to worship, it's to get equipped to go do the work of Jesus' ministry. That's the goal of the 12. That's why he called the 12 together. Now, most of you think, well, I've heard of these, but there's another group, and most people hardly ever see it, so let's see if we can bring some light on this with this idea of fellowship. Then there's called the group of three. Jesus kept having groups of three. He was in groups of three. Well, what was the focus of that? Are you guys ready? Fellowship. Past, we'd say pastoring. So you guys ready? I cannot, in a large group, receive pastoral ministry. I can't give pastoral ministry. It's just too hard. In the group of 12, it's too hard to try to counsel and pastor 12 people. Have you guys ever tried to do it? But you can in groups of two or three. 
So when you understand why God calls us to fellowship in small groups, really intentionally small groups, is because he knows that that's where people open up their hearts and really receive the benefit of fellowship. Now, what's happened culturally is we've created this, this type of meeting, as the, the whole focus of Christianity. Are you guys ready? We have people that are really good at listening to teaching and worship but have little or no fellowship in the body of Christ. They don't even think that's a standard because it's hardly ever talked about. And because of that, a lot of people have this, are you guys ready? There are actually people sitting in the church that know Jesus by name and wonder if they're ever going to connect with another person at all. And Jesus actually wants to deal with this because he believes the, the highest function of the church is so that you'll be known by his family and his family will love you and you'll actually come into a whole relationship that he was longing to give you when he redeemed you and saved you. Can you imagine a group of people knowing that Jesus actually loves them and we can't get along with each other or hang out with each other at all? Let's keep moving forward. And this is, by the way, just so you guys understand this, our culture loves never connecting with each other. We're creating so many systems to not connect and act like we're having a relationship. It's probably one of the biggest problems in Western Christianity right now, the absence of fellowship. Do, run, getting in a room with 100 people and running around in circles being active is not fellowship. <laughs> Thanks, Paula. As a, Come on up here. Let's do the whole sermon together. So, okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, you guys get it? The, the highest purpose of the church isn't the gathering to hear the worship and the word. The highest form is to fellowship with, well, with who? The Lord and his people. Wow. Thank, wow. You guys are kind of gelling with me on this. So, let's keep moving forward. Would you look with me at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3? Now, the reason why, now think about this, the reason why um, this thing we do, what's called is gathering people that don't know the Lord and we bring them into our community, please remember, the goal of that is to teach them about all three of these types of meetings that Jesus has called them to, but let's say they don't come to the big meeting, you can actually still influence them by bringing them into the groups of three or into the group of 12 and then introduce them into this group and our culture says, no, let's bring them here where they're the most detached, so they can evaluate if they like it or not. And God is saying that's actually not the best way to engage the culture. The best way to engage the culture is by relating to them. <laughs> Do you guys, you're, you, uh, it's kind of hard to say this to you guys. Are you ready? Now, I'm going to use the word unique. Don't think of the word weird. Okay? Jesus actually says you're unique, not weird. And so that actually means that when people experience you, even in your brokenness, they're getting a taste of something that they're actually longing for, they just don't realize it. And if you don't make yourself available to connect with people at that level, they only have, as a reference point, rebellion. And I've hung out with you guys. You guys are awesome. Seriously. And all your brokenness. And you're awesome when you hang out with me and all my brokenness. That's what Jesus wanted. But there's a thing about him being in the midst of that, that no one else can experience that way. By the way, do you guys know how the culture tries to model the church? They meet in buildings. They blare music just as loud as we do. But they use 
physical substance to try to enter into the spirit, and what it does is it heightens their, their, um, their nature, which is sin, and so they participate in sin in that. Do you know what that place is called? Yeah, it's a bar. Bars are a, a fake form of what the church is supposed to do. We gather in his name, and we introduce spirits, the Holy Spirit, and when he ministers to us, we begin to reflect him, and we're supposed to hang out with each other and get to know each other. Do you guys realize, why do people, <laughs> ask this question, why do people go to bars? Yeah, they want to have fellowship. They long for this thing. Uh, they don't, seriously, the whole idea of getting drunk, some people, I guess, go to get drunk, but they want to be happy about life. But you guys ready? You could get, I hate to say it, you could be filled with the Spirit all you want, get the same feeling, and fellowship with people. People long for this. Why do people go to the mall? I actually don't think it's because I'm an awesome sale. I think it's because they want to fellowship with people. Now, because of that absent and the body of Christ not modeling that to the culture, people don't know how to connect. So they think you connect over sin. Jesus says, no, actually, I want you to connect over me. And so I'm going to reflect that now. What does that actually mean to connect over him? Okay, so the word fellowship in the New Testament, uh, right here we use it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Fellowship is an interesting word in the Greek New Testament because, are you guys ready? It means to share something together, but it starts going deeper after that. It actually means share something together, and it's a unique word because it means, it means to share Christ at two levels. So you hang out with Jesus, I hang out with Jesus, and we're supposed to actually get with each other and go, what is Jesus telling you? And you tell me, and when he shares with me what Jesus has given him by grace, it satisfies and feeds my soul. And when I give with him what Christ is doing, it does the same thing with him. So we share Christ with each other, and then we share relationship to reflect this is what Christ is like. So we get both effects of fellowship. We get to know each other deeply, and then we also get to share Jesus with each other. I was uh, in a small group this morning starting to not be a small group, but it was a small group at one point. And I was talking to a lady about the presence of the Lord. And, the, and uh, John and Lee can attest to this, because, and Trish, they were there. The, the room was so loud with fellowship, is literally we were screaming at each other, did you hear what I said? I mean, it was that loud, people talking. And they're fellowshipping and having a good time. And the minute I started my conversation like, well, here's how the Spirit comes, the room went absolutely silent. I even said to everybody, we could actually drop a pin right now. Remember, I'd, we did it three times. I'd stop and say something about, here's how the Lord has made himself known to me, and the room would just absolutely shut down, no noise whatsoever, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's listening because they're, they're experiencing both effects of fellowship. They're relating to each other and knowing each other's hearts, and then the minute we share Christ, everybody wants to relate to his heart, and so we can give it at both levels. That's what Jesus intended when he talked about us getting together as the church and sharing with each other and knowing each other. I know you and your personal struggles, but I also know you by what Christ has made himself known to you. I don't know. I think this is awesome. Okay, you agree, so let's keep moving forward. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, look at it with me. I think I told you to go there, but let's look at it again. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Now it's talking about fellowship again. It says that we may, now here's what they're describing, that we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may too have fellowship with us. So here it is again. Indeed, 
Our fellowship is, ready, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's now explaining, well, what does the Trinity actually do? You guys ever, I'm sure you lay in bed at night going, I wonder what the Trinity's talking about, right? You do that, right? Okay, one, two, two guys, great. So what is the Trinity doing right now? Now, guys, think about it. They're not up there worried about the affairs of what's going on on the planet. They're actually in an eternal fellowship, which means they're relating to each other constantly. In fact, you see that relationship is so important that even when they describe you coming into relationship with them, they use the same terms as what the Trinity is experiencing with themselves. So in this passage, they're saying, well, look, they've revealed their fellowship to us. We're going to tell it to you so that you can enter into the same place. So think about that. When you and I drop our physical body and step into eternity, everyone's like, well, what are we going to be doing forever? You're going to be fellowshipping with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ. So you guys ready? You might as well get into it now because that's what you're going to be doing forever. <laughs> All right, so if I made, you and I are made in the image of God, which we are, we have to realize that God actually has this as the highest importance. This is so important to say to a group of people. God does not want you doing religious things to make him happy. He wants you to function the way he's created you, which is for fellowship. If you will get into fellowship, you'll make God more happy than anything you do to make him happy. Because it's what he's created you for. This is why, when you can, you, if you guys have ever done it, it's called evaluating the pulse of someone's view of relationship and fellowship. When we first started doing small groups, I don't know if you experienced this, when I first started doing small groups, we'd always watch new people come in and be awkward in relationship. And it was the goal of the rest of the group to love them well enough that they could be themselves. Are you guys ready? Until you're at a place where you long for fellowship, you want to develop it, you're not on track with where the Lord's going. And think about the grace of God. If this is the highest standard of the church, you and I have to say, well, if we're going to walk with God, this is what he has his pleasure over. This is what he desires. I need to get into this thing. I need to learn to get out of my comfort zone in the sense of worrying about, will people accept me? Guess what? The most accepting place if we're healthy is the church. It's the church. When I first, now you guys, um, if you didn't know this, I was actually born in Colorado, raised in Colorado, moved to Kansas City. All right, so when I met the Lord, I was living in Pueblo, Colorado. So I get saved. You guys ready? The first thing that happened to me is this elderly, the, an elder in the church, an elder, elderly gentleman came up to me and goes, hey, on Thursday night, I, I want you to come over to my house. And I thought, well, what for? He goes, well, we're going to get the Bible out and we're going to study it. And I thought, what? Now, I'm just saved. Why would you do that? <laughs> so I thought, okay. So I show up at his house. It was kind of the weirdest thing I've ever been a part of because the first thing they did is I walk in the door and they're trying to make sure I'm absolutely comfortable. They're handing me drinks and they're putting food in my face. I'm like, wow, I'm going to come here every week. And then I'm sitting down and even though we're studying the Bible, we're talking to each other. And then all of a sudden someone's sharing something that's going on in their life and we're praying for each other. And I'm watching this group of people and as I watch them, I realize, oh, this is actually... God giving us these people to be loved on. And the, the people that did this, they cared for us so well, I couldn't wait to get to that thing every week. 
Literally, I thought about it all week long. After I leave it, I, I, I just I can't wait to get to it. Could you imagine? And it, it actually, I hate to say this in a wrong way, it really didn't matter what we were studying. It was getting with those people. Because I had never, guys, up until that point, I had never seen a group of people that loved so unconditionally. And, and the group that I came to the Lord with, the group itself tends to be extremely legalistic. But I didn't see that. These people modeled the love of God to me. And, my, and it was satisfying a longing that I never realized was out in the culture. You can give the culture all the theology you want, but if you don't help them connect in relationship, they can't hear anything you're saying. Because the highest longing in the heart is fellowship. Oh. That's four. Four people said that. Yes, that's like a breakthrough. All right. So I want you to think about this. All the things that you're learning from different teachers, put it in what's called the system that's being taught to us out of Ephesians. All those things you're teaching, you are correct, but you have to have certain foundations inside of you. One of the highest, or what we call one of the foundational things of Christianity is once they meet the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to come into a community that's completely different than what they've experienced, and they need to be embraced so that they become whole. That's God's goal for you. That's God's goal for me. We don't just get in with each other to find out how much we can irritate each other. We get in rooms with each other so that we can work out the wholeness and the love of God with each other so that we grow into being a family. That first group, I see those guys as my family. They are my family. I love them. Uh, the one of them's passed, or the, lead, the husband's passed away, the wife's still alive, and I think about her, I pray about her all the time, because I just didn't go to a building with her. They became my family. I've, I've done small group ministry for 28 years, and every time I meet one of the people that I've done small groups with, we don't talk about how great the small group was. We talk about our relationship, and we step right back into it, and we love on each other. Even if we haven't seen each other for a decade, we've connected with each other in a really powerful way. So I want you to consider this tonight. If you're coming to the building and you're worshiping and you're hearing the word, you've done a right thing, but don't miss the other two meetings. Don't miss the opportunity to get equipped and don't miss the opportunity to have fellowship. Let's pray. Well, how do we thank you for these awesome things that you've given us, Lord? I thank you that you have called these people to gather in your name to know each other and to know you. Lord, fix our eyes on you and your people so that we can love well in both arenas. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command the blessing of the Lord upon you right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, if you're sick anywhere in your body and you can stand, would you stand? If you're sick or wounded or have any infirmities in your body, would you just stand for a moment? Because we we have to do this. Uh, God loves you. He wants to minister to you. So would you extend your hand like you're receiving a gift, and we're just going to ask the Lord to come. All right. So, Lord, would you come now in your power? Bring your presence to us, Lord.
In the name of Jesus, we break. We as the, your people come together, and in the authority you've given us, we break the power of, of infirmity and disease over them. And we ask, Holy Spirit, come, bring your power over their bodies and restore them, Lord. Bring life to them. And we come into agreement. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. We command the blessing of the work of Christ and the benefits of his suffering upon you right now. And we thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hey, say hi to each other. Fellowship, do you need to, do you want to share anything? Okay, come on up. Paula's going to do part two. Here we go. Yeah, I'm ready for part two right now. Here's the second part of the sermon, you guys. Are you ready? Seriously, you're going to love this. Okay, go for it. We'll eat sometime, which is why we do eat, right? Because it forces us to talk to each other. Um, to, so I just thought it was so cool what God's doing. Because talk about what God's doing. I'll have a little fellowship with you right now, okay? Because God has really been talking to me about my own identity, which is to say you are, you're supposed to be world changers. You're called to be world changers. It's not just about being here. It's about going out and changing the world, which is kind of what I heard you say. And so I think that's cool. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Secondly, um, yeah, I go to a bar every Thursday night. So I've got to tell you about it. So my husband goes to a Bible study on Thursday nights with the men, which is fantastic. And I go pay. Yeah, it's Cast Rock Imports. And on Thursday nights, I go play poker over at Kirk and Keg. And the, um, I think the owner, she goes to Calvary, actually. But you're absolutely right. The, it's a poker um, club. like, And so I see a lot of the same people every, it's mostly men, some women. It's at a bar. You've been there. Um, yeah, that's their church. That is absolutely their place. They know each other. And so they know each other's lives. They, it is exactly what you're talking about. It is exactly their church. They're going there to connect. They know, we know the little cocktail waitress. We know each other when we get there. And it is absolutely what the world is looking for. They're looking to be connected. And more than that, you guys, the world is looking to be accepted. The world is looking to say, will you love me the way I am? Or are you going to condemn me? Are you going to look at what I look like, what I act like, what I think, what I believe, whatever, and are, they're waiting for you to condemn them, but they're longing for you to accept them exactly the way they are. And so as Christians, we got to decide, are we going to reflect our own stuff, or are we going to reflect the Father's heart for this world? See, I told you I was going to preach. Sorry. And so, um, you know, when I think of the Scripture, I think that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, God so loved the world, not just the Christians. I'm going anti-Calvinist right now. Um, he loved the world in its present condition such that he sent his son. And that's our responsibility too. The bar, the people in the bar, they're like, are you going to judge me or are you going to love me? Are you going to judge me? Or are you going to accept me the way that I am? And I loved what you said, that our army goes after the powers and principalities, not the people. It goes after the powers and principalities. And the final thing I'm going to say, because I love it. You know, one thing we, Chris and I, have really hit down hard these last couple years on relationships and how to relate to each other. And I hope next week we can talk about that, because I would love to. And we have really learned a lot about how to love and honor each other, not only as married as spouses, but people, and how to do conflict and all that kind of thing. And the one thing that's been kind of my mantra in relationships has been what you permit, you promote, right? So if you permit dis disconnection you actually promote it 
if you permit these dishonor, you actually promote it. And the reality is when we talk about spiritual warfare, if we are to be the ambassadors, if we're, if we're the governing authorities of our culture, what we permit, we promote. What we permit in our culture, we promote. And I'm not saying going against people. I'm saying going against the powers and principalities. And when you look at different, um, I remember we had a teaching in the Seven Mountains one time, and they came in, they said different localities have different spiritual um, strongholds over them, like Baton Rouge, um, New Orleans. Um, different cities have different strongholds because it's been permitted by the people that are supposed to represent God and the people that are supposed to be the army of God. They have permitted that culture to be over the city. And so I think it is a really cool thing when we're talking about, hey, are we going to just roll over and just exist until, you know, eternity? Are we going to go out and be the people that change our world, change our world? Are we going to love people right where they're at? So that's the end of my sermon. Did you like it? All right, good. That was all ad lib, too, just so you know.